Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex, and this is our Wednesday show where we sit down with a guest or two, think about their work, and unpack the rest. Today, we have a fine pair of guests that were recently in the news. We are talking to Automatic CEO and WordPress co-founder Matt Mullenweg and Kishan Bagaria, the founder of Text.com. You've seen both companies in the news on TechWorks recently. Matt, Kishan, welcome to the show. How are you guys? Glad to be here. We're going to not have video, so you have to use voices only. So, Matt, how are you? <laughs> Doing great. Uh, really happy to be here. Uh, Kishan, you're over in India. Thank you for <laughs> dialing in so late at night. How are you holding up? So far, so good. Good. So, Matt, the WordPress is the thing I think Automatic is best known for around the world. It's an open source project. Your company runs the WordPress VIP side of that, which, full disclosure, I believe TechCrunch is still sitting on top of and runs our site. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say, for the most part, it doesn't go down. And when it goes down, it's usually our fault. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. uh, the enterprise, you know, it's funny because TechCrunch started just as like Mike Arrington's like free blog on WordPress.com and then scaled up to now, of course, be the institution it is. Yeah, we run now NASA, WhiteHouse.gov. So it's very secure. It never goes down, but you can mess it up yourself if you want to. <laughs> I've been party to a number of WordPress installs that I think the word janky was invented to describe, but self-inflicted wounds, if you will. Do you know how much TechCrunch pays WordPress VIP, by the way? Not enough, for sure. Not enough, for sure. <laughs> Never mind. We pay too much. We should get... <laughs> I know. VIP starts at 25 grand per year, and obviously it scales up as uh, the traffic or the... Um... So how much does TechCrunch make? I don't... You think they tell me? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen well, that spreadsheet. My guess is your bill is less than 1% of that. So typically, VIP is for those who want the most bulletproof, secure, always up WordPress possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can't go down because when we do go down, there's panic across several continents. So it's uh, internally, I mean. Anyways, I bring up WordPress and where TechCrunch sits because I am a person who uh, very much lives on the internet and I have... My adult life, I mean, it's where I've made my career and, and my life's work, frankly. And it really feels like the internet itself is changing. So when I started to write online, you know, using self-hosted WordPress installs or whatever, search was a bigger avenue for distribution and audience collection. Social was a bigger component of, of how people reached new folks to try to find new readers or, or customers even. And it seems like the internet has become much more siloed, closed off, and almost like internally controlled on a silo basis. I'm curious if one, Matt, you kind of agree with have my view there. And then two, if that's influencing how the overall WordPress project is kind of designing its next steps, because it does seem like the old regime and world and methods are falling out of favor. Yeah, I mean, it's not a surprise. The pendulum has swung a little bit more in a closed direction the past 10 or 15 years, really since the introduction of the iPhone, because you have, you know, <laughs> hundreds of billions of dollars being spent on mobile operating systems, which are much more closed on the web. And then many hundreds of billions being spent on social by Meta and others, by dance, TikTok, et cetera. So, I mean, yeah, it's not surprising that these things are huge. And yet, yeah. <laughs> consumers, people, regular folks like you and I have preferences. And these are typically not 100% aligned with a business whose business model is purely advertising. And so what I've always been a part of, the open source movements, really technology in general, is giving people freedom, liberty, and control, options, flexibility, 
the control over their, their digital selves, the digital life, how they show up online. Everyone's page should look the same. <laughs> we all should just be like, you know, forced to color inside the same lines that like fit for some advertiser or brand safe thing. Like we should be able to like, you know, express ourselves fully. And that's what the web's really about. And uh, that's why I think we're seeing a resurgence of Tumblr, WordPress, everything. Like people are like, uh, it's coming back. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, jeans with thick legs. <laughs> it's like this thing. They go skinny, they go thick. They go skinny, they go thick. The web got, and technology got kind of closed for a while. The pendulum is now swinging very uh, hard in the other direction towards Mo Open, which I'm excited about because that's the that's the part of the cycle I like the best. Yeah, well, me too. But so Kishan, text.com for folks who don't know is a service where people can essentially have a single inbox for a bunch of different messaging options. And so to me, it feels very counter silo to have a way to kind of chip them down and bring stuff into one bucket for folks. Is text.com a response to this more siloed, closed off web that Matt and I both wish would die? I just built it for myself as a site project initially. I just wanted a hackable messaging client that I could build my own features that I wanted. And then over time, people just got really excited by it. My friends initially, they started using it. They have been using it ever since. A lot of people on the internet, they just started complaining about this multiple inboxes issue. People also wanted other features like making sure they have responded to everything. So all of this paved the way for text V. So essentially people wanted this because they felt like things were too spread out. You brought everything together, it proved popular. Two questions about this because I haven't really written code since high school. And so I'm a little out of date on <laughs> everything. How hard was it to build a way to collect that much disparate information from different services? Because when I think about something like iMessage, I think of it as a walled fortress, right? Where you're either inside the walls or you're not. And mm -hmm. so the fact that you managed to blend so much stuff is, is pretty cool. Was that hard? It was definitely challenging. I think the first prototype was done in a week. This was just me hacking on it by myself. So I could just work on it all waking hours. And that was only for Mac. So that first indication was easy. We have come a long way since. We have done a lot of original research there, figuring out a lot of weird ways to make it work. And it's been super fun. And one thing that surprised me when I saw the acquisition news come out, and we'll get to more about that later, was the fact that it's currently a web product. It's not a mobile app. You're not trying to get me to download something onto my phone. Is that a conscious choice by you guys because you wanted to have more like design flexibility or does, and I ask this very gently, the method by which you collect and aggregate messages perhaps go against some terms of service that might show up in certain app stores out there? The honest answer is the web was the easiest platform to work on. So that's how I got started. We do have a mobile app that's in the hands of some users and okay. everyone else will have access to it soon enough. But it is true that it's more challenging on mobile especially for push notifications, end-to-end -end encryption, all of that is more complicated, more hard compared to the desktop app. Okay. No, that helps because like I said, I haven't actually spent a lot of time going through all of Apple's iOS, TOS, but I presume that it's probably not that much fun to work with. Yeah. So Matt, to me, the desire for people to have all their messages in one place, to break out of essentially corporate controlled silos, nests pretty neatly into the overall push to have a Fediverse out there which I know that your company has done some stuff with. I think Tumblr was going to join the Fediverse at some point in time. Is the movement towards building more interconnected services and products online, is that part of the same pendulum swing that you see moving away from corporate control and more towards an open internet? Or is that a distinct trend, if you will? Well, open source and automatic has been doing this since day one. <laughs> sometimes we have headwinds and sometimes we have tailwinds. <laughs> and right now I'm really feeling the tailwinds, which is great as an entrepreneur. So 
Yeah, we've really never varied from that <laughs> since we since our founding in 2005. And, and tell me more about the tailwinds, because to me, that sounds like just like annoyed consumers who just want to have more control over their digital lives. And they don't want it to be so overly optimized to make it work best for meta, for example. But I, I'm curious if that's the tailwinds you're describing or if I'm not getting the full picture there. I think there's a few. Well, especially in the messaging space with text. Text is actually really fully compatible with all the business models of the messaging platforms. So there's there's no reason for them not to fully support it. <laughs> and also the coming legislation with uh, in the European Union yep. and other places, <laughs> antitrust oversight in the US. I think that there is both internally in these companies, there's a ton of the engineers and the people actually building things who want everything to work together. They're kind of internet native. Sometimes the business people take over and point in a different direction, but the engineers always believe this. And so it's one of those things that like, as soon as they're unleashed, all the stuff will work together again, because it's really one, it's the right thing to do. I think it's the right thing for consumers. I think that's the right thing for user choice. You know, politicians will catch up to that and enforce it if they have to. But I honestly think the self-interest of all these companies is very much aligned in this direction. And so it's really, you know, we kind of had some of these things 15 years ago. You know, you could have like Mebo or what some of the other ones? Adium, Pigeon, oh, <laughs> these multi... Dude, those are words I haven't heard in... Wow, yes, I missed those. Shit, that was a much better time. Huh. <laughs> that was a much better time. So we're bringing that back. <laughs> And text is able to do it with new technology that makes it fully encrypted, end-to-end, totally secure. It runs entirely on your device. Nothing touches our servers at all. Literally nothing. Our servers could go down. The client would still work just fine. And yeah, it's fully compatible with all their business models. So I think this is going to be, it's the perfect time for something like this to exist. And I'm sure you'll see lots of others come in, but we felt like text was the best way to approach it. Yeah. Okay. One more question on the regulatory front, because you brought it up and I can't help myself because I find this stuff very interesting. Is Automatic as a company going to take a formal posture when it comes to certain bits of regulation in the EU or the US or other markets that might impact the stuff that you're talking about, the interoperability and so forth? You know, Automatic as a company will always be on the side of user freedom, user choice. Like <laughs> If something makes the world more free or less free, we're always going to be on the word-free side. And as a company, we we have been present in many of these discussions. Also, I would say more broadly, WordPress as a community, which, by the way, is a subset of the open source community, yeah. is where we're going to have the most influence because this is ultimately millions and millions of citizens of many, many countries all over the world who can call politicians, who can, you know, small business owners, there's, you know, tens of billions of GMV going through WooCommerce businesses. There's, there's so much, although... You know, WordPress is like the dark matter of the web. It doesn't show up under a single domain on like one of these reports from, what are they called, like Netcraft or what's the big one? All the advertising people use. I know what you're talking about, but because you're asking me right now, my mind has gone blank as a sheet of paper because that's how, that's how ratings, it works. That sort of stuff. We don't show up on that. But like dark matter, like we're across the millions and millions of all the other domains that make up the internet. Over 40% of all websites now. I knew that was going to come so, up. I knew it. I was waiting. Yes. <laughs> that, is the, so, that is the WordPress stat that I fucking love. It's like, yes, we are everywhere. And that's ultimately the people. <laughs> and, yeah. and I mean, not over the short term always, but over the long term of the long arc of history, it does bend towards justice to do a poor paraphrasing of Martin Luther King. And that is where these things are going. And that's what we're going to fight for every single day of the week. Okay, so... 
taking your bends towards justice comment, it sounds more like you're saying that the, the overall arc of the internet that, is that it bends towards openness? Bends towards freedom. Yeah. <laughs> this okay. goes, this is not new, by the way. This goes back to John Perry Barlow's original sort of manifesto for the internet, the Electronic Freedom Farm, the Free Software Foundation. Like, Honestly, by the time I came around, when WordPress started in 2003, I was already building on decades of this work oh, yeah. from the past. And so we're just happy to carry the torch forward alongside the entire open source movement, which, I mean, open source used to be this evil thing. I saw this stat from GitHub the other day that open source in some form is now in like 94% of all applications built. I'm shocked that it's not 100. Now, that might be like MIT or Apache licenses or something like that, but, you know, also the GPL side, which is like the super freedom fighters, also growing like a weed. The thing that I'm excited about by your optimism about where things are heading online is that I do entirely agree with the point that the iPhone and the launch of it and then the massive growth in the iOS app store did change the tenor of how people built digital products. And they seem to become more siloed and contained versus more free and interoperable. So I'm glad that after quite a long time of that, we're moving back in the direction of what I want, which is a free and wonky and weird and hopefully even sometimes silly internet, because that's where I would like to live. The more corporate mobile app version of it has been less interesting, less fun, and simply just less weird. And what a bummer, because <laughs> I think the internet should be a, a pretty weird place. All right, we're going to have to put aside the internet and why it's fun and cool and talk about business stuff. But my friends, before we do that, a short break. Now, I want to put aside the internet and talk about some business stuff. So, Matt, the first thing that I really ran into when I was prepping for our, our chat today was the number of acquisitions that Automatic has had. You told me before we started recording that it's 21, and I just pulled the list since basically 2018. So in case you're catching up like I was, everybody, the company bought Adavist, which was a publishing platform and magazine in 2018, Prospress, which was subscription payments back in 19, 19 was also Tumblr and Zero BS CRM, 21 was Parsley, Day One, Pocket Casts, and this year, Texts. So that's a pretty rapid list of buys, Matt. Why is Automatic a holding company? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> if you look at most consequential major technology companies, acquisitions can be a you know advantageous way to move into a new market, to bring a new team on board, etc. When you do them right, they can really like inject something completely new into the company that changes the direction completely. The really monumental ones in Automatic's history are founding with WordPress in the, in the sort of publishing space. Right. 2016, we acquired WooCommerce. We're basically trying to do what we did for publishing for commerce, you know, make it open source, make it free, make it open. And you know, WooCommerce, when they joined, it was a small team. It's now over 430 people doing 32 billion of GMV, <laughs> probably more since Black Friday and everything. And that was really consequential. And I would say text is... I've put it as the you know, the the third chapter for us because the move into messaging. I believe that communication is a fundamental human right, and that communication should be able to be free, encrypted, open source where possible, and also really put users in control. We care about the people we're talking to, not particularly what messaging platform they're on. Right. And so I'm very very excited about this move into messaging, and think it's something that uh, I only like to get into areas that I feel like I can work on the rest of my life. <laughs> and certainly between publishing, commerce, and messaging, you know, that's that's <laughs> life's work for a lot of us. Yeah. How long are you planning on living? 
Yeah, that's like that's like 500 years worth of work. All right, <laughs> Kishan, back to you. I'm curious about selling your company because I've talked to a lot of founders over the years who have sold their company and pretend Matt's not here for a second. <laughs> it's always a little hard to have your baby and then suddenly someone else owns your baby and can sometimes tell you what to do with it. So why did you decide to sell and why was Automatic the right place to bring texts? So the first thing was I knew of Madsen's I was 11. I made my first website on WordPress as well. So I thought it would be for an investment that we were meeting. And eventually the discussion went to acquisition. We have also had other offers from other companies who really wanted us, like OpenAI, but I did not go with them. I thought that we had a lot of ideas to build and automatically just seemed like the right place. Matt is super persuasive. That's the power of a founder, generally speaking, is that they can talk you into doing pretty much anything, which explains my last job, actually. Okay, so the deal was for, I think you guys said 50 million. But Kishan, what I couldn't really do was figure out Text's financial history. According to PitchBook, you guys raised a small seed round and then some sort of early stage VC, but no data is filled in. So for the founders who are tuned in, can you walk us through the company's financial history up until the sale? Yeah, we... Raised from about 44 investors, and it was a very small amount, somewhere around a million. Sure. We were very conservative with burn and making sure only the right people on, on board made it super efficient. So we do not really have to raise a lot. And one reason I presume that's the case is you have a pretty clear business model. Mm-hmm. To use the service costs, I think it's 15 bucks a month or 12.50 if you pay for a year up front. I couldn't see any notes that you guys have like advertising revenues and so forth. So is it a pure SaaS play? Exactly. Yeah. We don't want to have the user give up their data or anything. So it's just a SaaS play. People can pay us to use it and we might explore more options later on. Maybe we can do a freemium model at some point. Okay. The hypothesis that I have about a lot of products online, and I'm not alone in this, I think Corey Doctorow has been talking a lot about it. It's like anything that depends on advertising to survive eventually becomes bad, more or less. That's a vast oversimplification. And I say that as someone who currently gets paid probably mostly in ad revenue. (laughs) But that's kind of why I'm glad that it was kind of SaaS only, because if I'm paying you to use it, your incentives to take my data, do bad things with it, or try to like scan my messages to send me ads is zero. Mm -hmm. And I I just really like that. But I'm curious if that ever felt constrictive on the kind of customer acquisition front, because I think a lot of people do expect free ad-based services for better or worse these days. And 15 bucks a month is what people pay for Netflix. You know, it's not cheap per se. Yeah. I mean, I made my first buck on the internet through ads as well, Google AdSense on a WordPress blog. So I'm not entirely against ads. It is true that it's not the best model in some cases. So in our case, I think a lot of people really want to save their time, be more productive. And for that, it's a really worthy investment for them to pay 15 bucks per month. That's like only 50 cents per day. So if you look at it that way, it's it makes sense. Oh, I mean, I am your target market because that's how I do math. I'm like, ah, 50 cents a day. Let's do it. Let's sign up for 14 of them. Why not? <laughs> I prefer to pay for stuff than to get it from the ads world. It's also cheaper if you buy it annually. And we have student pricing too. Yeah. And they have student pricing. Yeah, what's the cost for students? It's just $5 per month for students. There you go. Cheap. So Matt, I'm curious that you said this is the kind of the third big thing that you guys have purchased. Why is Texts the next kind of building block for the future of Automatic? I don't know. Do you know anyone who doesn't use messaging? I mean, I try not to. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Uh, Actually, publishing is probably our smallest market. Really? That we're in. Yeah, think about it. Not everyone publishes. 
everyone does commerce. So that's basically the GDP is the internet, as uh, yeah. Stripe likes to say. And everyone messages. So again, <laughs> I just want to increase freedom, liberty, <laughs> do whatever. I would love my mark on the world to be that I helped make humanity. And with technology, we have the opportunity to actually, with writing a bit of code at the laptop, <laughs> as Krishan has done, like create something that can touch literally hundreds of millions and billions of people. Yeah, that's what I want to leave the future, what I would like my dent in the universe to be. And so it felt like the area that could most use opening up. And this client is super important and also a first step. Like, I think it's also important to invest in things like Matrix and other completely open source end-to-end encrypted messaging so that in addition to the sort of networks provided, which, by the way, are fantastic by Apple, Meta, Google, et cetera, that there are some alternatives which can be completely decentralized. I think that's also a really exciting area that's still nascent, but obviously critical for the future freedom of humanity. Okay, so on the freedom front, sometimes it takes money to defend that. Let's say that you guys put together an awesome texts iOS application, super hype, put it out there. Apple goes, hell no, you can't do that. Yanks it down. How much of a scuffle is Automatic willing to put up if one of the large corporate providers decides to gatekeep your ability to take the service and put it in to their mobile app store? Because you guys have raised a lot of money. So I presume you have like, you know, lawyers and shit. Yeah, I mean, we don't have like GDP of countries money like Apple. <laughs> but but uh, I would say that it, of course, depends on the circumstances. I believe that everything we're doing is completely in line with being in the App Store. I also believe that there's going to be non-App Store ways to distribute apps in the future, both on Apple and already on Android. So that'll open up a lot in 2024. So that's we'll do that if we have to. But yeah, I, I actually don't think there's anything we're doing that's not in line and happy to... <laughs> <laughs> appeal if something happens, happy to talk to my Congress people, happy to you know do whatever it takes to basically give users choice and freedom, because I believe that is where the internet's going. But I also say that like, yeah, I don't pick fights for the sake of picking fights. I only fight when it's necessary to protect the freedom of people or if we're attacked. So. so I take it because you don't pick fights for the sake of picking fights, you're not going to buy a social media company next. Another one after Tumblr? Oh, <laughs> shit. That's right. I, mm, good. I don't, okay. So, okay. Can I tell you why I made that relatively embarrassing mistake? It's because to me, Tumblr is a publishing platform and not a social network, which I think has been my core misunderstanding of why Tumblr matters this entire time. Well, um, today I learned. Well, no, <laughs> the, t- today I learned. Well, we're on the subject of Tumblr just because, uh, how is it doing? Because <laughs> we used to own it. When I was at Verizon Media Group, and then we sold it to you guys for like two chickens. And, you know, you had the reorg. I actually remember like when I, I first went in to talk to the Tumblr team at like the Verizon office, yep. there were some TechCrunch reporters like that could hear <laughs> what we were talking about. And they had to Wait, like. Which, which office was this? This was on um, in New York on uh, what, Astor Place. I have not been to that office. I hope that we didn't heckle you when you were around. Uh, there might have been some light heckling, but I also just, I was like, wow, this is so ridiculous. Like, they're literally, their desk are right there. They can hear everything we're saying. And they can't write about this because they're hearing about it internally. But like, y'all got other sources. So I think the story got out there anyway. So Tumblr has been incredibly humbling. I've talked about this extensively publicly. We're entering a period where we're going to really focus in and hone in on what 
the core of the app is going to be. So we've been in the news. We're actually switching about 70 people off the Tumblr team to other parts of Automatic. Yep. And with the other folks, it's uh, over 100 still going to be working on Tumblr, really kind of go to like the core of what the community is saying. Like they want the functionality to be, which we're not decreasing any investment. We're in fact increasing in like trust and safety, moderation, like making sure everything's like a safe place on the internet, that we're a good internet citizen, no spam, no bots, et cetera. So that's really, really important. And then, yeah, refocusing a lot of the development effort, less on like doing crazy, like different stuff. Although we'll have a little bit of that. Tumblr's always like innovated and been sort of the social media. It basically created all the stuff that other social media does, like reblogging, yes. multimedia, everything. Yes. So we'll do a little bit of that, but really focusing on the core functionality that the community loves. So listening to users, turns out it never goes out of style. Yeah. Okay, but back to my question. You're not going to probably buy another one, it sounds like, later on down the road. You know, buying and selling is always just a matter of timing, price, opportunity, and great founders. <laughs> like we have here in text, like, like sometimes you just meet someone and you're like, ah, this is world changing. This is you know, someone I want to work with for a very long time in the future. And we can have that conversation. And I really appreciate the trust that Kashan's invested in automatic as being a good steward and a good home to hopefully not just like not mess it up, but also like be someplace that this can turn into something much bigger in the future. Yeah. And then I was talking to Sarah Perez at TechCrunch, who I know Matt, you've spoken to before in the past. She had a question that she wanted me to throw at you. So I'm just going to do this for her. Did the upcoming EU DMA regulation play like a role in the timing of the text deal? Like, are you getting ahead of kind of a new reality that will make text even more potentially lucrative as a business? You know, I always like to skate to where the puck is going. Yeah. You know, we started doing distributed work in 2005. And also, I love the Alan Kay quote. The best way to predict the future is, is to, to invent, invent it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that through leading by example, through creating great technology, and through using our voice and the voice of our community to influence and sort of make the non-corporate voice, the sort of the people's voice heard in the political process, there's never been a better time for something like text to exist. Okay. And then, Kijan, just before we go, what color will your uh, Lamborghini be? I'm a pretty frugal guy, so I have not <laughs> any, I don't have any cars. Yeah, uh, everyone listening, you can't see this, but um, Kishan is currently sitting in a, in a, in a white t-shirt with white AirPods in, in a small room with curtains up. So yes, it does. There's no like fireworks going off. There's no chocolate fountains. I'm glad you have more fiscal responsibility than I do post-exit because I would definitely do at least a handful of very dumb things just to kick things off because, you know, why not? Life is short. We all die in the end. Okay, Matt, before we go. I'll send us the list of ideas afterwards. We'll evaluate them. Maybe we'll... Uh, private concerts from Metallica. Like, oh, I can I can do this all day. Like, <laughs> buy the first blimp, just write my name on it, and then crash into people's houses I don't like. Come on. The opportunities are endless. All right, Matt, I can't let you go before I ask you the very annoying CEO question, which is, you've raised a lot of money. You have a big company. When are you going public? Please say next year. <laughs> Well, you could ask any company this question, right? So, so many people wait in the rings. I've been asking this question so much lately. I'm kind of like, come on, people. Do you ever get different answers? <laughs> you get varying levels of resignation from people as they trot out the, an IPO is one step in the journey. We're building a company for the long term and the timing will come when the timing is right. Some combination of that. Uh, you know, that's all true. I also say that like, we're happy to be public at any point. And in fact, one of my great sort of regrets about our current structure we're blessed with like amazing long-term investors, you know, access to all the capital we need. So there's not sort of those traditional reasons, but, you know, I would love for more of our broader community that we're a part of and that we contribute to to be able to own a piece of Automatic. And uh, they can't right now because we're only available as 
a couple dozen of the most sophisticated investors in the world. Yeah. So that would be definitely a compelling reason. But we don't necessarily have some of the traditional pressures that I think can sometimes force companies to go public when it's not the right time. We're lucky to be part of a cohort of Stripes and SpaceX's of the world that it can be on the terms when it's right for the business. And when will it be the right time for the business? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm not Nostradamus. I can't predict the future. Gosh, I couldn't have predicted almost anything that happened in 2023. Like, we forget that SVB, that whole thing was this year. Oh. <laughs> and so much other stuff has happened. 2023 has been a long-ass year. There's been some big chaos. I think the OpenAI thing was only like a week long, but it felt like three months, you know? It's, it's been a weird one. But again, what we can control every day is listening to our customers, building the best technology for them, creating the best culture, hiring the very best people in the world who try to do the best work of their career at Automatic. I mean, that's what we can control and what we work on every day. Everything else is, I think, something that you always, that fortune favors the prepared. And so we just always try to be ready and have access to whatever the business that our customers need to uh, serve them the best. Well, I'll just say this. As one of your customers, listen to me and go public next year. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. You and the bakers are, are, are all uh, in line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, listen, thank you guys both very much for coming on. I'm very excited to see how Tex fits into their broader automatic matrix of companies. And Matt, when it is time, give me a call. We'll talk about IPO stuff. And Kishan, if you could get me off the wait list so I can try it out, I would love that. For everyone else, this, of course, is... There's actually... Oh. There's a way to bypass the wait list. Do you want to share it? Yeah, you can just go on the wait list. There's an option to skip with a payment method and you can find it on a desktop computer. And so the way around is just to give them money, which is, I think, <laughs> a very pure cap, which is actually smart. And, and sign up on your desktop. So if you sorry, sign up on mobile, you'll still go to the wait list. So you have oh, to do really? it on the desktop. Yeah, yeah. So that's the trick. Basically. Oh, I understand. Okay. Well, I always sign up on the desktop because I like to have large screens and vast computers, and I think mobile computing is trash. Anyways, we got to go. Everyone else, Equity's back on Friday with our news roundup. A big thanks to Kishan and Matt for dropping in and telling us about what's going on in their realm of the world. If you need more from us, we are Equity Pod on X and Threads, and we'll talk to you guys in a couple days. Bye. Equity is hosted by myself, Editor-in-Chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch Senior Reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. We are produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, and a big thank you to the audience development team and Henry Picavet, who manages TechCrunch Audio Products. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. 